Alright, we're uh, making our way through this, uh, through the Bible in two years. And um, we just finished the section called the Gospels. And what section are we in now? One book section of Acts. One book section of history, yes. Yeah, it's interesting in, in the Old Testament. We've got this huge whole bookshelf of history. In the New Testament, we get one book. <laughs> well, of course, the, the number of years of history in the New Testament is vastly smaller than what it is in the Old Testament. About how many years of history does the book of Acts cover? Yeah, it's, it, it, it would certainly be less than 40 because 40 would take us from AD 30 to AD 70 and we know that it had to be after AD 30 for the start. It had to be before AD 70 for the end. So yeah, so four, portions of four decades in there. In the Old Testament, how many years does the history cover? Thousands of years, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't know exactly when Adam and Eve lived, but obviously thousands of years before Ezra lived, and Ezra is at the end of the, of the history. Ezra and Nehemiah. So um, there's a reason why there's such a huge difference in the size of the, of, of the history books. Um, this thing's not. This thing's come apart somehow. Turn to page two. Um, <coughs> this morning we've got a, a bonus. I've got two outlines of Acts. <laughs> so this is the first one. This is the one I'll be following as we go through the book that I got out of my zone-driven Bible. And this book divides it into Peter's work and then Paul's work, uh, which is not which is not bad. It, um, Peter, and in Peter's section we divide it into two pieces, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, uh, and then to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Um, this outline is, is one of the few in the Zondervan Bible where they give key verses. Each of these verses kind of summarize is where they get the title. You see how the titles and quotes are getting that out of those verses. And then the second half, of course, is Paul. We're not going to get that far. Today we'll get, we'll get barely into part B, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. This other outline I got from Focus magazine uh, uh, some years back. And they had, some very, they had a very interesting way of looking. Let me see if I can get this focused better. That's good. I can do. Uh, they they again have two parts. They're almost the same, but the first part is the gospel preached to the Jews. Second, gospel preached to the Gentiles. Okay, um, but what they do that's very interesting. In each of the parts, they have three blocks, and each of these blocks has a summary statement as the very last verse of the block. On the next slide, I'll show you what those summary statements are. And and the and the summary statements help us to understand the the purpose. Here they've summarized Luke's purpose, just to show the spread of the gospel. It's not a biography of Paul 
or Peter or anyone else, of course. Um, so let's look at those summary statements. Chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. 9.31 So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Growth is the, is the key with these. 12.24 But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Um, and getting into the second half, chapter 16, verse 5, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. 1920, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And then finally, at the very end of the book, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So, um, two different takes on the book, but... I, I like these summaries. They help us see what, what Luke's going to be emphasizing. So back to our first outline. We're going to be covering all of the first two red sections. Well, all of the first A and then part of the B section this morning. We're doing nine chapters of, of Acts this morning. Alright, so we'll start in chapter 1. And uh, Luke has a... a a brief introduction here where he says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And what was that first account? That's the book of Luke, yes. And and then he has a more extended introduction to the book of Luke, and he also mentions Theophilus there. In, in, In the book of Luke, he calls him excellent Theophilus. Here he just says Theophilus. Um, the word excellent was a title used for uh, officials. Um, Paul referred to one of the Roman governors, uh, excellent, oh, excellent um, Felix or Festus, I forget which it was, but um, that's our only clue as to who Theophilus might have been, the fact that he would call him excellent. That's, that's not something you just call someone just because you like them. Um, it, it was a title. And so Theophilus apparently had had some kind of a a fairly high government position, like you know, like governor or something like that. And whether the fact that he didn't mention the title in the second one, I don't know what to make of that. Whether, um, um, what well, was he not a government official anymore? I, I have no idea. Maybe Luke was more friends with him by this time and done on a first name basis. <laughs> Um, so the first account was about all that Jesus began to do and teach and of course you you can kind of read between the lines maybe this account is what Jesus continued to do and teach uh, which certainly he did through through the Holy Spirit then in verse 3 he says to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, if you want to see those convincing proofs, where would you look? Yeah, the book of Luke has some. In fact, each each of the four Gospels has some of these proofs. So, um, So, he's not telling us anything new here. He's just basically summarizing what 
you would get at the end of each of the four Gospels. But he does have one thing new. In verse 3, there's one thing we don't learn from any of the Gospels. The 40 days, that's right. In the Gospels, you don't know how long it is. And, and it's not exactly 40 days. It's, it's um, Well, he just says speaking to them 40 days, so it's approximately that. Um, and then, that gives us a time frame for how long they had before the day of Pentecost. Because how long would it have been from the time Jesus was raised from the dead until the day of Pentecost? Forty-nine. Yes, there's our math guy. That's that's right. Because Jesus was raised on the first day of the week, and the day of Pentecost always took place on the first day of the week. So it has to be a multiple of seven, and it was exactly seven weeks from the from that. So they had a period of perhaps a little over a week to go between the time of his ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So here we are at the very end of verse 4, the end of the 40 days. Gathered them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you remember that in the Gospels, John was promising that. Now, I baptize you with water, but the one coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so then, we come to this last scene, last instructions from Jesus as He tells them to wait in Jerusalem. And then He's lifted up out of their sight, which is also found in the, in the book of Luke. So Luke is kind of, he's repeating himself a little bit, there's a little, little overlap. And then, and then we learn one more thing in verse... Um, 12, we learn where this ascension took place and which and where was that? All of that. Otherwise known as the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives was the mountain just east of, of Jerusalem. Gethsemane was on the lower slopes of that um, mountain. And, that, and I don't know where on the mountain it was where, where the ascension took place. Um, Luke says it was a Sabbath day's journey away, which is about a half mile. The Old Testament doesn't say what a Sabbath day journey is, but the, the uh, Pharisees and the, and the lawyers had made a decision that of the distance, and it's roughly half a mile. And half a, I think this, the length of that line there is probably about a half mile in, in the neighborhood of that. It says a. Um, Two, four, six, eight hundred yards, nine hundred yards. So that's about a half mile. So um, you could be at the very top, I think, and, and be considered within about a Sabbath phase journey. Um, so Jerusalem was actually pretty small, maybe about a mile or so in the long direction. Yeah, yeah, not even that much. I would, yeah, it might be that much. I think all the cities back in those days were fairly small. Yeah, they had to be um, yeah. um, so they got back and it's interesting who's in the group in verse 14 now in verse 13 he lists who? 
You have the twelve apostles. This is the last time some of these guys are going to be mentioned by name in the Bible. Um, the, the, the names are given. Uh, the, all, I think all three synoptic gospels gave them gave their names, and Luke gives their names one more time. And after this, they're just called the twelve. Um, and we, you just get certain people in the group that are mentioned, primarily Peter and John. James, of course, is mentioned because he gets killed. Um, but there were others with him. In verse 14, who else was with them? The women, Mary, Jesus' mother, and his brothers. Which, in the Gospels, his brothers didn't believe in him. But they do now. In the book of Galatians, Paul mentions some. No, not in the book of Galatians. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul mentions that Jesus appeared to James, which is probably the brother, his brother, not James the Apostle, which would explain why his brothers would be with, with them. And in fact, the total number in verse 15 was what? 120 people. Yeah. Of course, the number is going to grow very soon here. <laughs> And very much. Um, but first they have to deal with something. What What is the problem they have to deal with? Choose a replacement for Judas. Yes, choose a replacement for Judas. And um, Peter gets this. He goes to the Old Testament. The prophecy in, in the book of Psalms in verse 20, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office. So, following the commands of that, they pick... How many men? Two. There's two because two, two, there were only two that were really qualified that had been with Jesus from the very beginning to the end. Now, we'd never heard of these two, and yet they've been with Jesus this whole time. I have no idea how many more people uh, there were that Jesus was, you know, knew very well, and the, his names are not mentioned. We, we noticed at the end of John there was lots more things Jesus said and did that aren't written down. So then, how do they finally choose which of the two? Well, they pray first. They prayed to ask the Lord to show them. Then they did what? They, they drew lots. Drew lots, yeah. And this is the last time in the Bible that the drawing lots is mentioned. Uh, it, was a, it was very common in the Old Testament. The, um, the tribes were all chosen. Their, their land was divided up by lot. Um, in the book of Proverbs, it talks about you know the lot is cast into the lap, but God decides how it's going to end up. And the time before this that is mentioned was actually when the soldiers cast lots for Jesus' garment. That wasn't such a good one. Alright, chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Um... There was a sound like a violent rushing wind, tongues of fire on each of them. They started speaking with tongues. And then a big crowd gathered. Jews from all over the place were coming in. In fact, when it lists them in verse 9, they're from all over the place. This map, I believe, has all the places on it. Um, Parthians... And Medes and Elamites, there you are in the east. Um, residents of Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, down here. 
Cappadocia up here in Turkey. Um, Pontus, uh, where is Pontus? Pontus is way up there. And Asia, th th this area over here is called Asia. <coughs> Phrygia and Pamphylia. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, there's Phrygia and Pamphylia. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. Um, Egypt, districts of Libya around um, Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans, here we go, and Arabs. Um, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty Jesus. Why are people of all these places in Jerusalem? Oh, you're close. Pentecost, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I've read that Pentecost was the most popular feast for people from a distance to come to. Um, and, and very often, one visit would be all these people would be able to make in their whole lifetime. This would be a very big deal for them. I mean, you can, I mean, imagine, you know, of course, Rome is probably the farthest, but Parthia is also pretty far away. I mean, imagine traveling that, that far. And I mean, grown, they, these people have grown up in these places. They're Jews. Most of them are Jews. Some of them were proselytes, converted Gentiles. Um, but the, the Jews were just scattered all over the place, and so they're coming, some of them perhaps only time in their lives. And now they can hear these apostles speaking in, in other languages and they hear them in their own language and they're just so amazed. What is this? And some of them suggested a solution. What was that? Yeah, they're filled with full of sweet wine. So Peter speaks. And um, he says in verse 16, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit upon all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So this is the beginning of what Joel had prophesied hundreds of years earlier. And so in verse 22, Peter starts preaching a sermon to these people. And the sermon's about who? Yeah, Jesus has his every sermon in the book of Acts, really. Um, listen to these words. Jesus is the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, with miracles and wonders and signs whom God, which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan of foreknowledge of God, you did what? Nailed to the cross by the hand of godless men. Who were the godless men? The Romans. The Romans, yeah. And put Him to death. Now, this didn't apply to all of them. These people from a far distance probably weren't even there at the Passover. Maybe had never even seen Jesus um, but there were plenty who were, who were there who were you know, in the crowd that said, oh no, give us Barabbas. We don't want... You know, you go ahead and crucify Jesus. And then Peter tells them something they didn't know about, verse 24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And so Peter then goes on and gives some Old Testament quotations to show that it was predicted that the Messiah would be raised from the dead. <clears throat> And so he summarizes finally in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. So, he's been raised from the dead. He's also ascended in verse 33. He's exalted to the right hand of God and he sent forth this Holy Spirit. So this wraps the sermon back to the beginning, what they were wondering about. And so finally in verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
They crucified Him as a common criminal. God made Him Lord and Messiah. What was the reaction to that? Yeah, this is just disaster. I mean, they've been waiting for thousands of years for this Messiah, and now He comes and they've killed Him. We're in big trouble. What are we going to do? And what did Peter say? Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, um, how many did? About 3,000. Whoa. <laughs> and... And things just went so well. I mean, to summarize in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Alright, so then, the next story takes place a little while later. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, which would be what time? I, I, um, no, no, it was John. John was the guy that, who was going to Roman time. If John said ninth hour, it was nine o'clock. Luke's going with Jewish time. So, three, yeah, it starts at sunup. So, this is about three in the afternoon. So, now the Old Testament didn't give this as the hour of prayer, but it was the hour of the evening sacrifice. And the Jews had adopted that as the hour of prayer. And there was a guy there at the temple. Um, Back at one of the gates. What's which gate was it? Beautiful. The gate called Beautiful. Yeah. Which this map does not have that on it. I've got another map. It didn't look as pretty as this, so I didn't use it. But <laughs> it suggested that this right here might be the Beautiful Gate, which is is the gate going into what's called the Court of Israel. Um, but the fact they put a question mark indicates that apparently no one knows for sure. Um, which one was the beautiful gate? I had always imagined it was one of these outer gates here. Um, but if you think about it, if I was lame and someone was carrying me in, I'd rather be inside there. <laughs> so, I don't know. But anyway, he wanted money because he was lame and Peter didn't have any money. But what did he have? <laughs> yeah, power that he can earn his own living. I don't have any. Verse says, "I don't possess silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene." Walk, and it's such an exciting story as they, as he leaps up, and in verse eight he's walking and leaping and praising God. <laughs> this is bound to draw a crowd, so the crowd comes and they recognize this guy. He's always been at that one gate, and now he's walking around. Um, so then they all gather in verse eleven, where. Portico of Solomon, yes. Now, the, the, there's porticos on all sides of this temple. You see these pillars here. Underneath is what's called a portico. And on my, on my other map, it lists this one here on the east side as the portico of Solomon. You can get a lot of people. I mean, pe I mean we don't have any people in this view, but they're really small on, on here. I mean, these are, are you know big Greek-type columns. So you can get a big crowd in there. So Peter preaches a sermon, the second one we have in the book of Acts. And again, it's based on Jesus and about how you've put Him to death and God has raised Him up. And it's by the power of Jesus that this man was raised to walk like this. So um, he preaches and wants them to repent. 
um, and and on. Um, he summarizes. He, he ends in verse 26. For you first God raised up His servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Well, the sermon kind of gets interrupted at this point. Who shows up? Yeah, the Sadducees send the temple guards to arrest them. They were disturbed that they were teaching what? The resurrection. What what was the view of the Sadducees about the resurrection? Yeah, there's no such thing. You remember how they, they were they challenged Jesus with the woman that had been married to seven different brothers. It can't be a resurrection because who would she be married to in the resurrection? So now they're teaching Peter and, and, and John are teaching this in a very practical manner. Not only is there a resurrection, but we saw the first one raised from the dead like that. And and um, so they arrested them. But notice in verse 4, many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Which I don't know if there's any connection at all, but it's interesting that when Jesus fed the 5,000, they just numbered the men for that as well. And it was the same number. Um, so then they have to have a trial the next day. But what are they going to charge them with? <laughs> So they, they in verse seven they say, Well, by what power or in what name have you done this? And they kind of left Peter to get be able to interpret what the this was, and so he interpreted it, Oh, you're talking about healing this this man. And he says, I'll tell you by what power? By the power of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. <laughs> so he preaches a sermon to them too. They're not as happy as the people in the temple had been about this. And the, and, but in verse 13 it says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. You do not expect people from Peter and John's background, just ordinary fishermen, to be able to stand in front of, of the court of the entire land. This would be like the Supreme Court and speak that confidently and rebuke those people for murder. I mean, you just don't expect that. But they had boldness from the Lord. And they had a bit of a problem in verse 14. I mean, what was that? The guy that they had healed was standing there beside them. And you know, you, you just have to love this. I, I, you know, I compare him to that blind guy in, in the book of John that Jesus had healed. Courage. You know, he, knew these, he knew these guys were in trouble, but they healed him. So he's there the next morning. That you know they had to. I'm sure he wasn't put in jail with them, but um, he had to wait till the next morning. But he was there, so when they're they're on trial, he just steps up right there with them. <laughs> what are they going to say? You didn't heal this guy. <laughs> so they, they tell him all, you, know, go, you go out for a little while. And so now they, they're talking with themselves. What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place to them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. That is just the epitome of dishonesty. I mean, listen to that. These guys say, we know a miracle happened. But it's not going to change them in the least. You remember when Jesus told the parable of, of the rich man and Lazarus. What did the rich man want Lazarus to do? Yeah, go back to his brothers. Because if somebody rises from the dead, they'll believe. What did Abraham say? Yeah. Said so if they don't believe Moses, they're not going to believe it if someone rises from the dead. 
And that's exactly what we see here. These people didn't believe Moses, and they're not going to believe when Jesus rises from the dead. So they, they warned them not to speak anymore or teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John said in verse 19, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so they threatened them some more, but what could they do? When they got out, they reported to their companions and then they prayed. And it's interesting what they prayed. They didn't pray, Lord, guard us, save us from these people. They said in verse 29, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bond service may speak your word with all confidence <laughs> while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So um, they didn't ask to be relieved from the persecution. They just asked for the strength not to cave into it. And God heard them. Well, then we have a little section at the end which, which properly would go better, I think, with chapter 5. Um, it ends up with, in verse 36 with a guy named Joseph whose name was changed to what? Barnabas. Barnabas which means... Son of encouragement. What did he do that was so encouraging? Sold some of his land and gave the money to take care of the poor Christians. He put the money at the apostles' feet. Which then led Ananias and Sapphira to do a very similar deed. Not quite similar enough. Huh? What was their sin? Not giving the whole amount? Not the same, that was a sin, yeah, the hypocrisy. Peter told him, it was yours, you didn't have to sell it. And after you sold it, the money was in your hands. Why did you choose to lie about it? That was the issue. And so first Ananias died, and then his wife came in a few hours later, and she repeated the same lie. She died. And verse 11, and great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Oh, really? <laughs> that caused fear? <laughs> Would you think that discouraged people from becoming Christians? It did not. Um, it says in verse 14, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. It did not discourage people. They, the people understood. Here is God demanding holiness. And anyone who wants to be holy knows exactly where to go. <laughs> That's the only choice. And this, is, this reminds us back in the book of John when when the light shined, there were certain ones who came to the light, but there were others who you know, hid under a rock, so to speak. The ones who came to the light were the ones who wanted to see have their deeds exposed and show them they were righteous. So, um, it's just, wow, things are just going. However, problems in verse 17, the high priest, he had warned these guys, don't do this. So in verse 18, they arrested all the apostles this time, not just Peter and John. Put them in jail for the night. They didn't stay quite the whole night. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> An angel let them out and, and told them to run and hide. Is that what he said? <laughs> Go in the temple and preach. <laughs> you know, the Sanhedrin Council has so much evidence for this. I mean, the next morning, of course, they go send 
to find the guys in the prison, and the prison's empty, and nobody knows what's happened to them. Then they learn they're in the temple preaching. You'd think they'd be saying, "Man, this just this is really bizarre. I'm I'm not sure I want to have anything to do with this." No, they've got a job to do. Bring them in. We told them not to do this. They're doing it. They're in trouble. And so um, Peter doesn't, of course, back down. I mean, he. he he just makes matters all the worse as far as human viewpoint would, would be concerned. Um, he said, uh, verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you had put to death by hanging Him on a cross. So what did they want to do to them? Yeah, they wanted to kill Him. And in fact, in this case, they got saved by who? Gamaliel, yeah. Gamaliel, by the way, was the teacher of who? Of Saul of Tarsus, yes. Um, I don't know whether Saul was here at the time. He might have been. I might have listened to the speech even, but heard about it afterwards, I'm sure. And Gamaliel's idea was, um, you know, we need to be careful. We might be fighting against God, which that would be really, really bad. And I, I wonder whether he's kind of thinking about, you know, these guys are in jail and now they're out, but they're you know, not running away. They're in the temple. I wonder if he's thinking, you know, this is, I've never seen anything like this. I think I'd be a little bit nervous about uh, fighting against them. I might be fighting against God. And they, they took his advice, and so instead, what they do to them? Yeah, they beat them. Probably thir- the 39 lashes that they were allowed to do. And what was the attitude of the apostles after that? They rejoiced. They rejoiced if they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And it didn't slow them down a bit. They just kept right on preaching. But there was something that threatened to slow things down, and it was an internal problem. There was murmuring of what group against what group. Yeah. Now we saw in that map from chapter 2 that there were Jews from all over the place at Jerusalem, and they had stayed on after they got baptized. And the ones who were outside of Judea would have been considered Hellenistic Jews. Their home language, in most cases, would have been Greek. Um, And Aramaic would have been, if they were able to speak Aramaic, that would have been a a second language for them. I'm sure Paul's native, Saul's native language would have been Greek growing up in Tarsus. Um, But they were were complaining that that the Grecian widows were being neglected and the Jewish widows were, were getting all the food they needed. So the apostles said, well, it's not good for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. So you people choose out how many men? Seven men, yes. And these are generally considered the first deacons. Um, certainly the, 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 name, the title deacon is not applied to them, but the work they did was service, and that's what the word deacon means, a servant. So they chose seven men of whom two... Um, have a place in the later story. The first one, and Stephen, right off the bat, he now is working signs and miracles and arguing from the Scriptures. And there's some of the, his fellow Jews, Hellenistic apparently Jews, who don't like it. And they, in verse 11, they secretly induce men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they dragged him before the same council that had had arrested Peter and John and all the apostles. And in verse 13, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. What's this holy place? The temple, yes. 
And so, and the law, of course, the law of Moses. So in verse 15, they saw him looking like what? Face of an angel. Have you ever heard anyone say, you know, she looks just like an angel? <laughs> so did Stephen look like some effeminate um, uh, person? I mean, is that how an angel looks? Well, angels in the scripture can be pretty. <laughs> they, yeah, they t- tended to terrify people. And St- in other words, Stephen was not the least bit afraid. He was stern. He was a messenger from God. And 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 what we find in chapter seven is his quote defense, <laughs> but it was more of an offense than a defense. <clears throat> All right, so we'll look at a few points here. Um, in verse 9, the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, yet God was with him. That's a major point. Verse 35, this Moses whom they disowned, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? What's, he trying, what's Stephen trying to say here? Yeah, Matthew. Jews rejected him. Yeah, your, your ancestors constantly rejected the person God had picked to save you. That's just over and over. And in verse 37, Moses said, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. And that's been applied before by Peter in Acts chapter 3 to Jesus. So he's addressing this, this constant problem of the Jews rejecting the ones God wanted them to, to follow. Then as far as the temple goes, in verse 48 he says, However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me? Says the Lord. Um, so Stephen didn't say in so many words that the temple is on the way out. But he did let him know that there's something more important than the temple and God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. But finally, he, just, he brings the sermon right down on them in verse 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You were doing just as your fathers did. What was their reaction to that? They've heard enough. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. He then, full of the Holy Spirit, says he can see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That didn't make him any happier, so they, they covered up their ears. <laughs> they didn't want to hear any more of this. Dragged him out of the town, stoned him. And finally, at the very end, he said what? Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Having said this, he fell asleep. And that began a new chapter in the story. A huge persecution. Um, Saul, it says, was in hard agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, so the whole Galilean green is the area of Judea and Samaria. So they would have been scattered all around. And we follow one particular person, Philip. Where have we had him before? He's one of the seven, yes. There was a Philip who was an apostle, but that's not the one. That's not this one. So he went to the city of what? Samaria. So from, from Jerusalem, he went, we would say up here, this says down because in altitude it was lower down. Uh, Samaria. We, you remember when Jesus preached to the Samaritan woman at the well, 
That was in the city of um, uh, Sychar, not too far from there. And he had great success. They, um, they, they sent the apostles up there when they heard about it. And um, you had the issue with Simon the sorcerer. But finally, I want to move on with Philip. In verse um, 26, an angel told him to go where? Yeah, go south to the de- to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is a desert road. From here we go from Jerusalem to Gaza, and certainly this area around here is is is, is pretty desert. And when he gets there, he sees what? There's a chariot. There's a a eunuch from Ethiopia who is a very high official of the Ethiopian queen, reading what? Yeah, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And so Philip says, well, do you understand what you're reading? And he invites him up because he figures out Philip could tell him some things. So Philip does. And where did he just happen to be reading in the book of Isaiah? Yeah, Isaiah 53. You couldn't have picked a better place for Philip to start a sermon about Jesus than Isaiah 53. So he preached, and of course, as they go along, the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And so, they stopped the chariot and they both went in the water and Philip baptized him. And when he came out, what happened to Philip? He'd done his job. So he, was... he had done his job. The Holy Spirit snatched him away. He was found at Azotus. Um... Right, well, we'll have to see that later. I don't think I have the map for that. Um... Um, well, and he kept preaching until he came to Caesarea. Of course, we're going to get to Caesarea a little bit later. <clears throat> Chapter 9, then, is the uh, conversion of Saul. Um, Saul was apparently the, the leader of the persecution against Christians. He was just laying waste to church. He wasn't satisfied with just Jerusalem. All the Christians had scattered. So he wanted letters from the high priest to where? Leaders of the synagogues all up here in Damascus. We, you know, we're way out of the region of Judea and Samaria, but there were Christians up there. So off he went, and on the way, um, he saw the light, <laughs> and he had a con- and of course he is just in shock because he had been convincing himself, contrary to all the evidence, that Jesus was a big fraud and that. He wasn't really raised from the dead, and now he sees Jesus alive. And Jesus says, You're the one persecuting me. Why are you doing this? So, for three days, what did he not do? He didn't eat or drink for three days in the city, and he's also blind. And then God appears to a, a, a man by the name of what? Ananias. And he says, I want you to go um, lay your hands on a man named Saul. Ananias knows who Saul is. He's a little bit concerned. He has a discussion with, with the Lord about that. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And I will show him what? How much he must suffer for my name's sake. Yeah, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And I don't know of anyone else who has ever suffered as much as Paul in terms of 
over as many years. It just from within within a very few weeks of when he became a Christian, his life was in danger, and it just that that pattern just repeated from then on right to the end until he finally was executed for being a Christian. Uh, sometime after he wrote his last epistle, Second Timothy. <clears throat> as soon as he became a Christian, he started arguing in the synagogues in verse 20, proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And um, instead of these people being impressed, saying, you know, this guy used to be an enemy and now he's on their side. Maybe I should look into it. No, <laughs> their attitude is, let's kill him. <laughs> and so he had to take extraordinary means to get out of town. And how did he do it? Yeah, they lowered him in a basket at night. He came to Jerusalem. Let's see. Yeah, from Damascus, he came down here to Jerusalem and wanted to join with the disciples, but what was the problem there? They hadn't gotten updated. Yeah, he's trying he's pretending to this to get you know to get a list of the people. But who solved the problem? The of yeah, the son of encouragement, Barnabas. And so then they they were happy to have Saul with them. But he ran into the same problem here as he had at Damascus. The Jews want to kill him. So they took him down to Caesarea, which was the port. Uh, here's Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, Joppa was the port. That's where Jonah went to. But in the New Testament, there's a, there's a harbor that uh, Herod the Great had built in Caesarea. And that's where you want to catch the boat. And where did they send him off to from there? No. Tarsus. Yeah. So here's Jerusalem. Here's Caesarea. Tarsus is where he grew up. That's Saul of Tarsus. So he's going back to his home. And we'll pick him up in a few more chapters. Um, meanwhile, we've got just a little brief story with Peter. Um, Peter goes from Jerusalem down to Lydda. I think the only reason Luke includes this in the story is to get Peter to, to, um, to Joppa, where we need to have him for the next for our next story. He went to Lydda, um, raised a guy named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years and that really converted a lot of people. Then, um, a lady in Joppa died. What was her name? Dorcas. Dorcas. And they knew Peter was not too far away. And Lydda, they sent to him, come quick. He came, raised her from the dead, which that caused a bunch more people to believe in the Lord. Then he stayed in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. So now that's the the groundwork is laid. We got Peter where he needs to be for the next chapter in the Holy Spirit's plan here in chapter ten. Any last questions or comments? Well, I appreciate everyone's help.